Welcome back to Filmcraft. Welcome. We episode 102. This is our first episode together after our big 100th episode. Oh, we didn't get to make a 101 Dalmatians joke. No. We well, had an okay. interview with Jessica Michael Davis in the last episode. Yeah, it was really good. I think she was knowledgeable. I liked getting her insight into all the Sundance-related stuff. Yeah, I checked it out as well afterwards. I I, had, I signed up for Sundance Collaborate when it started because I was curious as to what what was there for me to see if it, I could do anything. And I, I went on it, and there was actually a little screenwriting contest thing. They have like a monthly challenge. So mm-hmm. I actually entered the monthly challenge. I just what they want is like to you for you to write a little script and send it to them, and then a bunch of people just send them little scripts, and then they look at them and give feedback and shit. So I I sent them a little script based on their prompt. I thought that was kind of fun. Sweet. What were the parameters? The rules for the contest were: it's got to be a maximum of ten pages. And it needs to be about. Uh, it's called. I think it's called an act, an act of kindness challenge or something. It sounds pretty stupid, but the, <laughs> the um, point of it was to write a story where a character goes through some sort of like turmoil, and by the end of it, a stranger shows up and lends them a hand and and brings them back to a place of hope or something. And I. I immediately thought a bunch of people are going to do some really corny ass stuff for this challenge and i ultimately wanted to not go in that direction so i'm like how can i turn it on its head and still follow the rules but not have it be so lame so it took me a while to think of a story but i think i got one that i really liked cool Um, Do do you think it's something you would ever try and like make yeah, I was actually really happy with the little ten-page thing I turned, I, I wrote, but it, it would probably work pretty well as a short film. But what, when I wrote it, I wasn't thinking of making it into a short. I just thought about this would be a fun story to write, and then by the time I finished it, I was like, I would actually like to make this, but there's a lot of shit going on in that short film script. So we'll see. How many explosions? None. No. Oh, it's not worth making then, Latif. Uh, but yeah, on the note of the collab, I took a couple courses. Well, I think they call them master classes. Um, a, how to make a documentary one and something else on there. They were they were fairly interesting. They had a lot more content and were a lot longer than I thought they would have been, especially since, you know, they're just giving them out for free. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing other things on there that I wanted to take a look at. And then I bought a PS4. And mm-hmm. my life is gone. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But all in all, good stuff from what I can tell. Yeah, really cool. And it's a good way to be connected to filmmaking and like a community, even in times like this. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh, on this note, I was going to ask, um, do you have any updates on your film festival submissions? Did you get any more notices of like, yeah, we're canceled or anything like that? Yeah, just recently even. Um, I got one festival that's just, they're out. Um, so they sent a refund back and then, you know, hopefully they 
come together next year. And then I got one from another festival that's happening in 2021. And they said, hey, listen, do you want to still participate in the festival if we just do online in in case that by then it's still not going to happen um, as a live event? And I was like, yeah, by then. That's so far from now. Even if it's online, that's cool with me. Uh, mm-hmm. So few festivals but you know there's a couple of festivals that are happening in like a month that haven't said anything so i'm kind of like wondering <laughs> what their game plan is um you know they might just push it later as well so you know uh i, I do have a couple a couple film festivals that, that have canceled and they've sent better grief funds so you know we'll, we'll see how it develops but i i don't see myself going to any film festivals for at least the next two and a half months yeah i would say probably not um cool well why don't you launch us into i guess follow-up topic number two because this one's actually super interesting yeah well we, a couple episodes back i we did that breakdown of the scene from benjamin button um you know we played the audio and we talked about a bunch of stuff and i kind of went through like the the techniques used and and maybe the the impetus in doing it that way but i last night i just watched the documentary that i thought was really interesting um it's called hitchcock trufo and it was basically just talking about like in a meeting they had that was turned into a book called hitchcock trufo where um francois trufo was interviewing alfred hitchcock about all his films and um, they had, like, filmmakers on to uh, just talk about their thoughts on the films. And um, there's, like, they had uh, David Fincher on there as well just to talk about um, some of Hitchcock's work. Because I, I know he's uh, he was influenced a lot by Hitchcock in his early work. And um, he was mentioning something about time and speed and slowing things down and, and changing how things are perceived. So I'll, I'll play that audio clip for you now, just so you get an idea of what he's talking about. If you have some kind of understanding of color and design and light, directing is really three things. You're editing behavior over time and then controlling moments that should be really fast and making him slow and moments that should be really slow and making him fast. It is indeed a solemn occasion. I switch you over to our microphone near the bow of the ship. Oui, ça c'est une chose qu'on retrouve très souvent, uh, la dilatation du temps. Yes, that's what film is for. To either contract time, soit pour contracter le temps, or extend it, whatever you wish. Yeah, so you know, he's basically. It was almost like after the fact, we find the the example, and then I hear him talk about it in in a documentary like a week later, but. In, in any instance, it still kind of describes like the the thing that we were looking at. I, I think like he articulates it much better because he's the filmmaker. But uh, in general, I was trying to get that across, like how he's stretching and slowing down time in different ways to make you perceive something differently and how that's a tool as a filmmaker and how you can really use that as a as a technique in filmmaking to kind of divert focus to something that maybe isn't looked at as often or maybe just to to bring like a feeling into something that uh 
normally you would just kind of skip over in in any other movie. And I thought it was interesting how him and Hitchcock both mentioned that. And I think personally, that's something that I find very interesting as well, is to kind of focus in on things that normally in other movies people might skip over or just do in a conventional way. And you choose to show it in a different light and, and stretch it in a way that people don't normally experience. Yeah. I definitely recommend that documentary for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, and if you haven't seen any Hitchcock films, it'll be a good like window into everything he's done. I, I, I've seen most of his uh, most uh, acclaimed films, but there's you know there's a bunch of films that I haven't seen from Hitchcock, so I definitely want to revisit those as well. But Hitchcock's made like a ton of movies. So. <laughs> And when you were watching this documentary and the scene came up, him talking about Benjamin Button, did it make you look at the way you perceive the scene differently? Or were you kind of like, damn, I was right on the money. No, well, he wasn't talking about Benjamin Button. He was talking about filmmaking and, and kind of referring to Hitchcock in general. But I took that and and kind of remembered the discussion we had like previously and thought, oh, it's kind of exactly what he's talking about. Um, I think he really like breaks it down in a simple way, just in like a few lines of what that method methodology is and and why why you would choose to do that. Whereas we you know we went into it and really broke down what we thought. Well, I I basically just broke down what I thought was happening and why why they would do it that way. But it's kind of the same point, but. Uh, when you hear it straight from the horse's mouth, it's a lot more uh, convincing. <laughs> Where do you think straight from the horse's mouth came from? Because it's such a weird phrase. Uh, we, people can Google it. It's <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's fun to ponder. Like, was someone staring at a horse and being like, it came right out of that thing's mouth? <laughs> I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I, I'm I'm pretty <laughs> sure I've read what the origin of that was, but I I, I don't think it was very remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, all right, so follow up completed. What are we talking about this week? Well, it's kind of half related to the documentary as well because I. Remember, there's a moment when Hitchcock was talking about his uh, choice of working with actors, and there's specifically a moment in a film where he's directing Montgomery Cliff, and he walks out of a building, and he's supposed to look up at um, a hotel. But uh, he's like, but there's a huge crowd in front of me. Maybe I'd look at them and be more distracted by them. And Hitchcock was basically trying to show the geography of the scene so he could move things forward. But Clift was more involved in like, oh, but there's people in front of me. I'd probably be looking at them. And then Hitchcock was just like, just look up at the hotel. Uh, and all of it was really just about um, kind of this challenge with the actor of like you trying to get across what you want to them. But then them maybe having like a different choice and, and wanting to do something else based on like what they think is the right thing to do 
that there's that quote about him talking about working with actors is like moving cattle around the set. Now, obviously, <laughs> there's you know there's a bit of a cheekiness to that because it's supposed to be a joke, but uh, in there's in a bit some, of truth to it as well. Well, yeah, like <laughs> I wouldn't say it that way but like you have as a director your job is to move the <laughs> actors through the story and in a macro point of view like through scene by scene to to thread the story together as a whole and and really uh i thought it was an interesting way to look at how we choose to talk to and direct actors on set because it's not something a lot of people discuss and everyone works with actors in a different way but I do think fundamentally when you work with with an actor, there is something you're always trying to achieve. Um, I know like, you know, Jim Jarmusch is a filmmaker I really like. And one thing he said is you always have to approach working with every single actor you work with in a different way because everyone works differently. And if you approach um, every actor you meet and try to work with him the exact same way, then you're absolutely nuts because no one is going to um, expect that. No one's going to expect to work the way that you work every time. And I thought that was interesting, but part of me also thought, but you do have to have some sort of a structure to the way you work with people. So there's got to be like a weird mix of like you being um, open to what they have to bring, but at the same time having some sort of foundation with how you work with actors. And I thought that was something interesting we could discuss. And like, just to piggyback on the first point you were talking about where Hitchcock had an actor and he's saying, why don't I look at the crowd? And then you really had to say like, look, this is the way the story's going to go. I know you want to look at this crowd, but look up to this hotel. There's a famous story of James Cameron when he was making Terminator. You know, that really famous line, the I'll be back that Arnold says. Mm hmm. So I guess they're shooting it on the day and Arnold's like, why would I say it like that? And James Cameron says to him, what are you, what are you talking about? How else would you say it? He's like, I'd say, I will be back. <laughs> and this is Arnold telling the story. He's like, James just looks down and he's like, Arnold, I don't tell you how to act. Don't tell me how to write. Say the goddamn line. <laughs> okay, that that's a little, you know, blunt. But it's kind of the same type of thing. Like when you're the director, you have to have that vision. And there are all these seemingly little choices like saying all or I will or looking to a crowd versus looking to a hotel that can either really matter to the story or matter to the character. And you have to keep those in mind, you know, bringing it to the herding cattle. It's kind of... If you were to use a sheep analogy, it's like you gotta, you know, be the shepherd. You gotta show them where to go and how to get there and which opening and exit to take and whatnot. So you have to keep all these things in mind. Um, when you're specifically working with actors, like, do you have any examples that come to your mind from this? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, that's for me, that's important for me is to make sure that they're saying their lines properly. I, I think we've, we've discussed this at some length in, in previous episodes but like I personally don't like to improvise too much with actors I think sometimes it just goes off the handle and, and just like a bunch of nonsense happens sometimes um, obviously there are mm -hmm. moments when something good can come out of it but 
when we're shooting like these projects and time is of the essence you can't just like waste time and film and and hours of the day like improvising stuff that's gonna either be useless or, or not really beneficial to the story um and i think a lot of times improvisation is done um for people to find jokes or comedy and if i'm not making anything that yep, requires that in the scene or in the in the movie tonally then there's no reason for me to go for it so um i, I didn't really find it useful as like a as a tool for me i mean right now who knows maybe in the future but uh i, I think um that was like one of the things i had to like make sure when people would get too creative doing air quotes I'd have to say, hey, let's just stick to the lines and finish the scene. And it was really about that because, like, the the writing, the writing itself isn't about like the lines are so great that you must say them the way I've said them. But I did work really hard on them, and the point of them is to get you to the end of the scene. If you follow the thread of the dialogue, it should take you to the end of where the scene is. So that's why I want you to stick to the dialogues we're saying on course. But when you don't do that, and you kind of veer off and start like having conversations about this and that and whoever and whatever, um, it kind of takes you away from from where you're supposed to go. And ultimately, it's just adding more time to the limited amount that we have. So um, for me, one of the tools is to make sure that they're sticking to what they're supposed to be doing and they know what what's supposed to be achieved by the end of the scene, which is the end of the scene. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree with all that. And also, just side note, I when you, I had this mental image as you were describing that of you having this like Hulk Hogan esque first AD, where if the actors started riffing too much, they just the first AD would be like, "Read the goddamn script!" <laughs> <laughs> totally freak out and silence everyone. <laughs> yeah, um, but, but yeah, I couldn't agree more with when you said. I think a lot of the times improvisation comes from trying to mine comedy and at least in my experience that's 100 percent the case looking back to party stories and even what we don't say the majority of the improvisation is either to mine comedy or just to reinforce a kind of feeling of them bonding whereas if you look at the much more serious moments and arguably the most effective scene well Take the uh, the party stories breakdown we did the other week. The best scene in that movie is that one dramatic scene we went over at length, right? And that, there is not a word improvised from any of it. And I think when you have scenes like that that are much more dramatic and there's a definitive, you know, call it cataclysmic event within the movie happening in that one scene, especially on an emotional level, to have it scripted in a way where each line means something each line either leads to the next or causes the next line to happen that just the drama and the having the dialogue really lean in those scenes is essential um what's your take on that like i know you said mining comedy is mostly improv but why do you think in general people just don't improv on dramatic scenes quite as much I think because it's scarier, it's much more difficult to get something really good 
um, that's impactful when it's not pre-rehearsed. Uh, if if there are scenes like that, then you you go to the best filmmakers who are able to do that, and I, I immediately think of Scorsese because he's able to do that with so much of his work. He's able to get really strong dramatic moments that aren't always planned out to a T. Sometimes they're improvised. Sometimes they're just moments that happen once. Can you give a good example? Um, I th- I know like f- there's a lot of stuff in. Uh, Goodfellas where things just kind of happened and they recorded it. Um, even the scene where uh, they're at the bar and he's like, "Why? what's so uh, what's so funny? What do you think? I'm a clown? And he's talking to uh, Ray Lieta. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was completely planned out. I think a lot of it was definitely kind of impromptu. Um, I, won't, I won't say it was like 100% improvised, but I know that that wasn't like rehearsed. Uh, it kind of just kind of happened. And I remember uh, Scorsese talking about that, where where like the reactions from everyone around them weren't planned out. People were actually kind of like, what the fuck's going on? Um, but, but one of those moments is really like, you have to kind of be really confident about what you're getting and the actors you're working with. So, you know, for example, if you're working with actors who aren't as experienced and you're like, I'm going to improv this dramatic scene, you you might be making a huge mistake because you won't know if they'll be able to carry that. And it's putting a lot of weight on the actors, too. If you're if you're if you've got like a scene that's crucial and, and supposed to tell um, the people watching something very important about the film or about, or about a character and you've got an actor with little experience and you're like, let's just improv this, then you're making a huge mistake. You know, you might get lucky and they might come up with something great, but oftentimes it'll make them really nervous and they'll probably know that you're expecting a lot from them. And and I think that's something you have to understand is when you choose to do like a heavy amount of improv with actors, you're asking them to do a lot for you. And at the end of the process, you have to be able to put it together. So say, for example, if you're a director and you're like making a short film and you decide I'm going to improv a bunch of this stuff, but you can't edit. You're not an editor. You've got no editing experience. You choose to improv. You're making a huge mistake because 90% of like capturing improv is learning what to cut out when you're editing. And if you don't know what to look for and you don't have an eye for what's working, what's funny, what's um, usable then you're going to have a bunch of shit that you don't know what to do with. So that, yeah. that's another thing. Like e- even myself, someone who has a ton of editing experience, it's something I do for a living. I don't improv often. It's very rare that I'll like, just like, just make something up because um, e- even with the editing experience, I'm like, I don't know if the actors will be able to come up with something and handle that kind of pressure of just like carrying a scene. I mean, even in Crazy Few, there was a moment in the script that I'd written with no dialogue. But in that moment, I told the actors, like, don't say anything. I just want you to sit in this moment. And I wanted them to say something to each other, but I never wrote it in the script. And it was the one time, I think, in in, in everything I've ever done where I I made a dramatic moment, something that they had to figure out on the, on the day. But it was the, one of the last things we shot. And the reason I did that was because I 
I wanted the pressure of that moment to kind of like weigh on them because we'd been shooting so much. And up until the last day, I could see that they were really strong, like they could carry um, scenes and, and not be like afraid. So in that moment, I did that. And I remember getting something really nice out of that moment. But it's not something I would have done if I were working with like film school graduates or just like first time actors. Yeah, definitely. I was going to basically, aside from the crazy for you story, just mimic everything you said. Like when we get people sending us these no budget features, you can tell like a lot of the times they'll just come out and say, Hey, we did this. It's in three days. And you can just tell it's a mumble core kind of thing. I feel like as an audience member, you can tell when something's improvised and that doesn't always mean it's bad like a lot of the best comedies are improvised pretty much every uh judd apatow movie 80 percent improv right but when you go to like these no budget things and the ones that we get sent um what ends up happening in these dramatic scenes is it's either these scenes they do get the point across you know like um guy needs to break up with girl because of reason you know, that's the scene and you can tell that's what they went into, but they had no idea what they were going to say other than this loose outline and they get there. But the scene goes on for like four, six, eight minutes when really like it probably would have been a powerful scene if it were a minute and a half or two minutes. But since they can't edit it down, A, because everything's improv. So cutting between character to character, they're not saying the same shit. So to cut from me improving something and then to cut to you improving something, whether or not you're talking or having a reaction, you're trying to match each cut to each person and make a cohesive story within it. So when you do this improv, a lot of the time it ends up just playing on a wide or on one shot or two shots kind of thing because there's very little ways to convincingly edit that and then your scene ends up being way too long. Or they do try and go in and edit it and it just turns into this really, really sloppy mess where you can tell like guy walks in and says, hey, we need to talk. And then her reaction was clearly to another line that was delivered that doesn't quite match up to it. And the flip flopping of this feels very unnatural and you can tell something's up in there. And it's a really strange thing to sit there and watch because as an audience member, you just know something's off. Yeah. I mean, the speed is all off for sure. Mm -hmm. that, that's something that you can feel right away. Um, that's something I range. Um, but, you know, there's, there are, you know, side effects to, to doing that kind of work. I mean, even in, in Scorsese's work, one thing I think a lot of people know is like he pays very little attention to like scene to scene continuity. So if someone's hand is up in one scene and someone's holding a cigarette in the other and you cut away and you cut back and it's not there anymore, it's not something he pays attention to. He's more focused on like the dramatic through line of the scene and focusing on making that resonate. So he's not really worried about the, the background continuity of, of everything that's happening. But it's kind of like one of the things that you have to live with when you choose to do a lot of improv in, in your work is knowing that things like that won't always be perfect. Um, but uh, even that aside, like say you're working with just scripted work, you're working with actors, even in that sense, I think one thing that people tend to kind of be kind of floaty about is blocking. When I work with actors, I really make sure the blocking is mm -hmm. exactly um, as it needs to be to make sure that 
that everything is um, lining up the way it needs to be because you have to block for a few reasons. You have to block to make sure that the, the staging of the actors works for the camera. Um, and, and that's one of the most important reasons you make sure you know you're blocking because if the camera can't capture what you're shooting, then it's pointless. And then you have to make sure blocking is precise so that the actors can interact with each other. Um, if, if actors have to have a scene together and there's supposed to be some sort of physical interaction or even just like spacing between them, the blocking needs to be set in a way that it could work. You don't want to have two people talking in a scene and there's a tree between them. That's, I mean, that's really stupid and I don't think anyone would do that, but it's just an idea of like bad blocking. Say people are, two people are sitting against a tree and you want them both to be right up against the tree and one of them's on one side of the tree and the other's on the other side of the tree. Now they're talking into nothing. Um, it would be kind of a weird choice maybe, but it's something that you have to think about even in the writing process, I find. Um, that's almost as early as when I start my blocking. Because when I'm writing a scene, I like to think about where people are placed in a room. Um, and then when you get on set and you work with them, then you can finalize everything. But the actual blocking is something that you need to have a conversation with your actors about. Because I, actors themselves are going to be free to like move their hands and do things in a way that they feel works for their scene and for their character. But at the same time, you don't want it to conflict with the choices that you want to have um, as a director. And you want to make sure it works with the, the camera positioning and and kind of the, the motivations that you see the the scene having underneath so that's something you have to think about and make sure that you know how to get across to the actor. Because I, I personally find that when I'm doing blocking with actors, I know exactly what I want almost to a T. So when I tell it to them, they're not kind of like, well, maybe I'd do this. Because they're like, no, you wouldn't do that. You have to run in the scene. You must run. <laughs> Shut well, up, if they idiot. have a good argument <laughs> against the reason that I, I want, want it to be a certain way, then they have to tell me. Because I'm very certain about like certain blocking choices because I know why um, it needs to be there for the story to move forward. But if an actor comes to me and he's like, yeah, I don't feel like I would do that. It, it's maybe the most infuriating thing for me because it's completely useless to the story. It's like, I don't care what you internally feel as an actor. That's complete garbage when it comes to like the portrayal of the movie. Like I, I personally have zero interest in the the internal experience of the actor making the movie. I don't care if your experience making the movie was a happy one or if you were feeling like shit inside. Um, I'm not going to personally try to make people feel like shit on set. But in general, we're doing a job here. We have to try to make the movie um, and make sure that it's telling the story in the most appropriate and concise way possible. Uh, and it's not my job to make you feel like this is a good experience for you as an actor. It's complete bullshit. Um, I think in general, you have to know that you have a job to do. And you have to also know that the choices you make on set and the choices you make in front of the camera are going to have an impact on the story. Um, so like all the internal stuff that actors talk about, it's important for you, but don't let it affect the work of the film um, in the end. Um, so whenever I talk to actors about this kind of stuff, I try to be very blunt and very, um, what's the best way to put this? Very shallow. It's really about things like movement, um, placement, 
where people are looking, where people are standing. It's very rarely about anything emotional. Because I find that completely useless. Um, the actors themselves should know what they're doing. And I, I don't think I have to talk about like the inner emotions of of anything in order to make sure that their blocking is right. I think before, or even if you're not in film, I think a lot of people will hear the expression or the story of an actor goes up to the director and it's like, what's my motivation in this scene? That never happens. I've never once heard of that actually happening because if, and I think you're in really bad shape if an actor comes up to you and says that because just from reading the script and the conversations that you've had before you get to set, the actor should that like that to me is the first step. Like if you don't know your motivation, I would, my follow-up question would be, did you read the script? Have, do you have amnesia? Is, is something wrong with your brain? <laughs> like This is kind of first base kind of stuff. And we're way past that at this point. Um, in terms of blocking though, I have an, a follow-up question for you and I'm going to give you my answer first before I forget it. Um, is there ever, how should I phrase this? Actually, I'll just tell you my thoughts on like the movies we've made. To me, like I don't ever remember a point of getting into a scene where we're setting up blocking and I'd have you or an actor come up to me and say, okay, well, how's this going to go out? I would, I've never had it where I said, oh, you know, I actually don't know. And I think through the writing... And it's, well, I mean, it's different because we're writer directors as well, right? So it might be different for someone that's just a director. But even then, I think once you've gotten to a point where you've either written a script or you're a director that's interpreted a script, you can kind of see it in your head. And if you're a director that's reading a script and you have generally no idea what the blocking of the scene is, then the writer's probably done a pretty poor job. So by the time you get to set, as long as you, I could maybe picture it if you've gotten to a location and you're like, I've never seen this location before. This is a last minute thing. Give me 30 seconds and I'll figure this out. But even when we had that and what we don't say for the furniture store, we hadn't seen the location. We got in and I was like, let me take a quick look around. I did one lap around and then you and I just talked. It's like, okay, here's kind of how I see it. Let's go here. Move this way. Move that way. What do you think? You're like, yeah, okay, we'll set up lights here, 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 and you just go. So I think in terms of blocking, it's something that should really be just ingrained in you because you've kind of lived the story in your head. Whether or not you've seen the location first, you should really know or at least have a pretty damn good idea of how you want to do it. Um, what are your thoughts on situations like that? I mean, like I, I personally don't think it's something that just kind of lives in you. You do have to think about it because there's a math to blocking. There's a, you know, like almost like a diagram to how it has to play out because you're, you're working in spaces with people. So it's something that actually has to happen. It's not as simple. For me, it's not as simple as like, you know, what like a frame is going to look like in your head because blocking is a little more complicated because it's dynamic. So when I think of blocking for scenes, I always have to ask myself like in relation to another character or is one person standing or if there's only one character in the scene then where's the most appropriate place for for me to put them for the scene um and i and i'm always thinking about light camera position and then um the actual point of the scene if it's just someone standing by himself alone and he's not moving then it's 
usually a lot easier for me to come up with. But it's if it's two people talking and they're moving throughout the scene, then it changes things a bit. So there's a bit of a bit of like mental math that you have to do with figuring out the blocking of the scene. But um, uh, even like going back to that documentary you were talking about, if you look at um, Hitchcock's films, the blocking and the position of the actors in his films are always very meticulous and they're very uh, well planned. Um, and there's this one scene where uh, there's this one example they show where Cary Grant and uh, Ingrid Bergman are kind of like huddled up together. The camera follows them from like being in like a face to face position where they're like kissing. And it just follows them to another position in the room. They go up to like a door, but they're still huddled up in that way. And if you saw that as a, as a wide shot, it would look very strange, but because it's shot in like a two shot almost, and you follow them doing this movement to a door because they're so closely huddled together, it almost feels natural, but it's like almost a, uh, how would you say this? a trick of cinema like the, the size of the frame hides what would look strange to you normally but because we've done it in this way it becomes a part of the cinematic language it becomes a tool that you can use in movies that you wouldn't really be able to do anywhere else um so it's like stuff like that the the blocking does play a lot to where the camera position is so learning how to actually move your actors in a way that affects the camera but also affects them in relation to each other is, is important. And I, I don't think it's something that just comes to you. I do think it's something you have to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. And I guess at the end of the day, it's one of those things where it's kind of the same with any process in film. Like some things will feel intuitive to you. Some things will feel more intellectual and you'll have to think about them more. But at the end of the day, you need to have an idea of how to get there or at least have a team that you can rely on to have conversations so you can get there together. Yeah. I mean, in the way I put it, it does sound complicated, but it doesn't have to be that, you know, cerebral. It doesn't have to be this big mind game. Sometimes it's just like, you know, the guy sitting on the couch. So you just put him on the couch. It's pretty simple. Not every scene is going to be so complicated, but you know, if you have a scene with three or four people that are moving around an office, that can get tricky. So it just depends on the type of scene. Sometimes it's, five seconds of thought and you kind of know what you want to do. Sometimes it takes a few days to figure it out. Yeah, totally. All right. So one thing that I think we should talk about in terms of working with actors is something that I think you might actually be able to talk a bit more knowledgeably about than I can. Um, what do you tell actors on set to get the performance out of them that you want? Cause I think you've done, you have a bit more of a, Jedi mind trick way of doing this than I do. <laughs> well, the, to me, I'm not trying to, you know, and this might come back to the thing where we're talking about with, you know, with the blocking where I'm not trying to like internally affect the actor. I'm trying to bring something to the surface I'm trying to get them to a place where they can bring whatever they need to the surface so we can capture it on camera. You know, my goal isn't to make the actor feel f sad inside, in his heart. <laughs> my goal is to make him feel sad on his face so we can see it, because that's what's important to us, right? So 
with a, with an actor, you might give him something as simple and stupid as like when someone comes into the room, um, the, what you uh, theoretically what you're trying to get is for that person to look at them longingly, right? But you might just say to that guy when he comes into the room and you turn and look at the at the lost love that that's just entered, you're going for a longing look, but you might just say, look at them like you're looking into the sun. Um, so he, they might squint a little and have like a weird face, like it's very intense. And that might give you the effect you're going for, but it's a very direct, actionable thing that they can do. It's something you can think about and put onto their face. So it's, it, it's, it's like ultimately getting a performance out of the actor. And when I say out of them, I, I literally mean that you have to get it out of them and onto the surface because you need to see that. It's not, it's not anything internal. All that they will work on. It's kind of their job. But uh, your job as a director is to kind of like scrape the surface and see what's there so that we can use it in service of the movie. Yeah, I remember um, a long time ago when we did a web series that will forever remain buried. <laughs> we didn't get a chance to like really work with the actors or anything prior to shooting. And I remember we were having trouble with one actor doing like creating that look you were talking about on his face. Mm -hmm. We did a couple takes and then I was like, all right, just give me a second. I went over to you and I was like, what do you think? And then you were like, tell them to look at the person like they're they're their little brother. I was like, holy crap. Latif is a genius. And then I think you told the actor that thing and it totally worked. And I remember just thinking like, that's a great example of these small actionable things. Like you were saying, look at him like a, a little brother, look at him like it's the sun, you know, very, it's almost like really tiny. It's like two white brownies. That's the kind of information that can really work with actors like do X, not, well, you know, you're kind of, you're feeling a little sad in this moment. Your girlfriend's just left. You know, you had to take your dog to the vet, and that was quite a big bill. The orange juice went bad. Like, that stuff's kind of like, what the hell are you talking about? But when you say, <laughs> look at him like he's the sun, it's like, oh, okay, I get it. Right on. Yeah, and, and there are a lot of different techniques you can use. That's just one that I like to use because um, even when I think I talked about something that's crazy for you a while back on working with actors – you, when you talk to, and I, I don't mean this in a condescending way, but you almost want to talk to the actors like they're children. You want to give them as simple um, explanations as possible. You know, when, when you're drinking a cup of water and it's the last cup of water you're going to drink before you go to jail, that's what's happening in the scene. But you have to make sure that the actor drinks that cup of water like it's like the most important thing to them. Like, this is the last clean cup of water they're going to get. You don't want to go to them and be like, you know, this water, this is going to be it. This is almost like the blood <laughs> of Jesus and all this bullshit. It's completely useless. <laughs> you, you just want to go to them and be like, listen, I'm going to put a bunch of salt in your mouth. You're going to be really thirsty. So you better save this water because you're not going to get anything afterwards. It could be as simple as that. And that's an actual actionable thing. Give them a peck of salt. Make them eat it. It'll be disgusting. And then tell them to drink that water. You might get a better reaction than, like, 
pumping a bunch of bullshit into their head. Um, uh, because like that's the magic of cinema. We don't know what happens before action and after cut, so we can do whatever we want to make sure the scene is most the most effective. Uh, so physical things can can be done. You can say simple things to them that that make it easy for them to do something actionable. But even sometimes just like twisting things a little or changing the speed of things a little may make it easier for them to get something across. And I was just listening to a, it was actually really funny because it's kind of related to what we're talking about here, but more actor to actor. I was listening to an episode of uh, WTF with Mark Maron. Hmm. I think it was the uh, most recent episode. He's talking to Laura Lenny. Who's a great actress. She was in one of my favorite films, The Squid and the Whale. Um, and Laura Laney was talking about working with an act, uh, another actor on a film. And she was getting nothing from them because actors kind of play off the energy of each other. And she was looking at them. She was getting nothing from them. She knew, like, this actor does not have it. But it's hard for her because she has to work with them and she has to do her job. She has to bring out something to the surface but she's not getting anything from the person standing across from them. So what she did was she took out her contact lenses so that they were blurry. <laughs> <laughs> and she was able to get the scene because she couldn't see them because whatever they were doing wasn't helping her at all. She also, she thought, if I can't see them, then at least I can do what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> I just picture her like, hey, Mr. Uh, or Mrs. Director, this guy's given me nothing. So can we film his coverage? And then can you just put up like a tennis ball and let me act to that instead? <laughs> <laughs> the ultimate, the ultimate disc. But yeah, I mean, I, I hear, I hear her say that and I think, oh, that's, the, that's the smartest way to, to go about it is to find something that's just unemotional and use that as the technique to get you to where you need to be. I, yeah. I really do believe like there is something kind of magical and spiritual about cinema, but it's in the films. It's not in the process. The process is very gross, very tough and very unsexy. And I don't think the process itself is supposed to be magical. I think there are moments that can be like that, but I don't think every moment of filmmaking is supposed to be like this existential experience. Um, so when, when I meet artists who approach it that way, I try to like, ground it a little and make sure they know that they're doing a job yeah that's fair also uh, another good story that came to mind when you mentioned the contact lens thing and everything I can't remember what actor said this but there was a role where they were required to limp like there was something wrong with their leg right and the director like he or she was trying something some kind of limp it wasn't working director was getting more and more angry and then a co-star called them over and they were like hey come here so they came over and they handed them a rock and they're like, put this in your shoe. What are you talking about? And it's like, just do it. Cause when you think about it, when you have a limp, like your legs messed up, your foot, your ankle or whatever, the reason you have that limp is because it hurts when you put weight on it. So you put as little weight on it as possible. And then you change to your good leg or foot, right? So mm -hmm. by putting this rock in the shoe, you naturally get that because you're going to step on this rock. It's going to hurt. <laughs> and then you're going to want to put as little weight as you can on it. You're going to want to go to your good leg or foot. Mm -hmm. So there's all kinds of those little tips and tricks that, like you said, it's very unemotional. If anything, it's quite clinical, but they could work wonders. 
Yeah, it, it it's definitely like a physical reaction that you're looking for. So you might as well do the the most um, simple thing to get there. I mean, it, it's like if a doctor, if you went to the doctor's office and you had like knee pain and he's like, just feel it out of you, feel it out of you. You'd probably <laughs> want to kick him in the face. <laughs> um, you need something actionable, something physical that's going to actually help you there. So I think we have to think about the same thing with actors. So if you're looking to get something from them or for them to do something, sometimes you need to have something physical that they can do that will help them get there. Um, uh, I, I think uh, as well, it's it's helpful to think about the emotional stuff maybe when you're writing, but on set, sometimes it could be very cumbersome. I think to some people listening to this, it could be one of those things where they listen to like, man, there's a lot of different aspects and angles to this. And that's really, really true. And I think that can kind of be demoralizing because when you look at something and it's not like, how do you get an actor to act good? You walk up to them and you push the robot act good button and then they act good. You know, there's so many different ways to get there, which can kind of make it feel like a maze or fog. But then you can also just look at it the other way and say, like, there's so many ways to do this. We have so many things to try that you can really use it as a sense of inspiration. If you're not awesome at being, you know, a clinical person or you're an overly emotional person or anything, there is a way for you to get these performances out of the right actor. You know, you can't always get the right performance out of the wrong actor, <laughs> but there's a lot of ways to go about this. And these are just a couple of ways. So don't get discouraged. If anything, take this and be like, oh, here's a couple of sweet ideas I can try and run with them. Yeah. And one of my go-tos is always do it faster. <laughs> and I, and <laughs> whenever I do that to actors, they're always like, why? Like, what's that? And ultimately, it just, to me, it's just like a cure-all sometimes. <laughs> it, it gets them out of it. It speeds the scene up and it makes things just a little, little easier to handle. And I, I actually tell this to actors more than anything else to do it faster. Um, and, and I think it just kind of makes it a little better. Like I personally hate when scenes take long and drag out and I don't like yep. when that happens. So I always, I always do tell my actors to do it faster. Yeah. I remember uh, it was, I'm blanking on a lot of names, which is common for me because I suck with names. Um, but it was someone really important, like the head of a studio or whatnot. And I remember one of their best, they had a question. It was like, what's the best piece of advice you could give a filmmaker? And they were like, do what you do and then do it one and a half times faster because cutting a little bit of length out of each scene it's going to just make your scene and your whole movie leaner and better. It sounds weird, but I promise it works. And going back to how, you know, some people send us micro budget movies and how, when they're entirely improv scenes go on for way too long, you know, that really limits you in a lot of ways. And there's not a huge, huge audience for Mumblecore. So if you have a way of doing things faster, like Latif said, I think it'll really work in your favor. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and that is a good note to end the episode on. Do it faster. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually uh, 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 what I say on my first dates. <laughs> Do it faster. Like so faster. <laughs> what the hell? This guy's a dick. I'm out of here. <laughs> uh.
All right. Well, until next week, this has been brought to you by Acast, and I am Matt Ralston. Yeah, I'm Latif. Thanks for listening, guys and gals, and stay inside. Don't be one of these dummies that goes to anti-inside rallies. Do it faster. <laughs> <laughs>